Well, good morning, everyone. All right, thank you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was like, did anybody respond? <laughs> good morning, everybody. <laughs> um, it's good to see you today, and um, it's good to be here with you. Uh, first of all, we'd like to say a happy Veterans Day. Um, I know it was uh, officially yesterday, but happy Veterans Day um, to all of our men and women who've uh, served us so valiantly uh, in the armed services. We honor and appreciate you um, for all that you've done. Um, I see that several of our uh, veterans who are uh, usually here, um, not today, but if we do not know that you're a veteran, um, please know that you're honored and respected um, in this place, and we thank you for um, all that you've done for us all. Um, secondly, I wanted to say uh, a very, again, I apologize if I don't know everybody yet, but again, a very happy birthday this past week to, uh, first of all, Miss Erica Shaw. Oh, no! Woo! Lightborn! <laughs> Miss Erica Lightborn! <laughs> yeah! <laughs> Ms. Erica Lightborn. And then um, secondly, okay, <laughs> okay, I, I won't say anything, but there's a man with the initials of BG that, <laughs> that also had a birthday too, and he might be standing next to Dave Hedger. So you could say happy birthday to him too. <laughs> okay, so anyway, it is good to um, be back with you today. Um, we actually just got back uh, from Charleston, South Carolina, and got to uh, participate in the uh, passing or the uh, funeral of my grandmother, which I told you about um, this past week, and it was a celebratory moment. Uh, I thought I was going to have to officiate the entire funeral, um, but thank God, by the time I got there, my mom kept working on it, and uh, by the time I arrived, it was I just had to do the eulogy. So I was able to cry through that and then sit down. And so it was good. It was um, a great praise to God because of what he had done. I'm going to talk a little bit about um, that today. But um, for those of you who were expecting Peter Aline to be with us today, uh, please continue to pray for him. He is a friend of the house who comes um, several times a year to minister to the church. Um, he's actually uh, dealing with a great physical pain himself and is um, unable to walk right now. And so if you could, uh, please pray for him. Uh, he wanted to be here with us, but um, is unable physically to be here. Uh, so he, we will reschedule not only his ministry Sunday morning, um, but also the ministry that was going to take place on Saturday, which was the prep for our, the appointment of our deacons and the diaconate within the church. So um, again, if you were planning on being a part of that, or if this is the first time you're hearing about that and had interest in it, um, then please know we're rescheduling that for the time that Peter's here, specifically uh, because of the fact that not only can he teach on it, but he's served in the capacity of uh, the decadent and eldership within the churches that he's been a part of throughout the years. And whenever we teach on things, we want there not just to be information that's given, but a real impartation. And so um, he's going to bring that type of impartation when he comes as well. So please agree with us in prayer for Peter, okay? So um, what we're going to do then is um, we're going to continue the GROW series. And I know that what we did in the GROW series is we finished the... Um, book of Philippians, which was Paul's letter uh, to the new church in that area, which was one of the first historic churches in Europe um, at the time. 
And uh, as we saw that uh, letter written to the people of God, what we also saw was that it had a context to it. And what we're trying to do even in this series is as we're teaching people to grow in their faith, grow in the things of God, we're also teaching them how to interpret the scripture uh, in its proper context, right? So we talked about the fact that even Paul's writing of the letter of uh, Philippians was written to the church in that city, but it had a context to it of Acts chapter 16 through 18, where Paul was on his second missionary journey and he was going around from place to place getting churches started in cities like Chicago to, uh, not that he came to Chicago, but cities like Chicago where he was getting the churches started and teaching the people how to walk with God in that manner. And so today we're going to uh, finish this series uh, by actually talking about two things. Uh, We're going to continue in that uh, trend of what Paul did after he left the city of Philippi, and we're going to see how he spoke to uh, the people both in uh, Corinth, and which was one of the cities that he went to after Philippi, and then also what might have inspired him to speak the things that he did as he was teaching the people to grow. So today, if you're taking notes, we're going to talk about two things, and obviously it has... uh, some pertinence to uh, what we just dealt with, even in my own family, but we're going to talk about growing in eternal focus, and number two, uh, growing and sharing the good news. Growing in eternal focus and growing and sharing the good news. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that, God, you are the one who reigns. From generation to generation, you are God. From generation to generation, Father, you've looked upon your people and You've had a redemptive plan and work in place that, Father, even from the ages and uh, pages of Scripture, God, you were doing a work in cities and uh, nations and areas throughout the world, and it even brought us to this day to a place where we can worship you as a people, people from multiple languages, tribes, and nations ourselves, all bringing glory to the one person, Jesus, resurrected from the dead after sacrificing himself on the cross. And God, we're asking you that you would help us to uh, today continue to grow, uh, not only in our eternal focus, but in our ability to uh, live not for ourselves, but for you who died and was raised again. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so today if you're um, reading your Bible um, along with us, you can open uh, Psalm chapter 90. Uh, We're going to read that psalm together. And then uh, you can also flip to 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to start in Psalm 90, then we're going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. But again, just to give you a little bit of context, what Paul did is he, he started on his missionary, second missionary journey. He went into Macedonia, um, and there in the city of Philippi, uh, it was a fruitful time. Obviously, a church got started there, um, but it was also a time of persecution. Um, during the persecution that uh, Paul experienced for preaching the gospel, Um, Paul ended up in prison after he drove an unclean spirit um, out of a slave girl, meaning that he literally affected the economy of the city in which he found himself because this slave girl at the time was through divination. Uh, She was like a soothsayer or or somebody who read people's futures, and she threw the spirit was, um, this unclean spirit was predicting things. It's almost like, anybody remember Chloe from back in the day? Like Chloe, the, uh, okay, no, some of you are too young. Okay, but there, like, there's this lady who always appeared on TV talking about, yeah, okay, Chloe. And I was like, that is the worst.
worst Jamaican accent I've ever heard in my life. But the point is, is that Chloe, Chloe, yeah, Chloe needed something driven out of her. And so the thing is, is that she got it, this girl got it uh, driven out of her by Paul and they were imprisoned. But in the midst of the imprisonment, um, Paul and Silas had said a very interesting thing about them. They maintained in the midst of their trial, in the midst of their difficulty, they maintained an eternal focus. So much so that in the midst of the prison imprisonment, they were singing hymns to God and they were worshiping after having been persecuted, tortured, and actually unjustifiably imprisoned for the name of Jesus Christ. And what we see is that as Paul in that city and Silas, his traveling companion, were imprisoned, um, God did a miracle, threw open the um, gates of the <coughs> prison, and uh, though they could have escaped, they remained in their place. Now, why did they do that? Because as we see in the story in the text, the Roman guard who was guarding them at the time knew that if he had actually allowed the prisoners to be set free, he would be put to death. And so having been um, um, made aware of the fact that they were actually, uh, the gates were open and that there was a possibility that prisoners had gone free, he was about to put himself to death. But Paul and Silas said, hey, listen, stop, don't do it. We're here we want you to be saved. And so by preaching the good news to them, um, then not only did the jailer, but his household, they came to the Lord in the midst of Paul's imprisonment, in the midst of Paul's trial. Now the question though is, is what in the midst of the trial enabled Paul and Silas to have this type of perspective, this type of forthright ministry in the midst of their suffering? And Psalm 90 gives us a picture of what it could have been. We don't know that this was the psalm that they were in fact singing, but we know that many of the psalms repeat the goodness and the glory of God over and over again and give us an eternal perspective that shapes our thinking and not only our thinking, but our reaction to life as it comes at us. And so this psalm in particular was one that Paul um, and Silas would have been familiar with. It was a song, all of the psalms are songs that are actually written and inspired of the Holy Spirit, giving us a picture of God's nature, his character, and his purposes in the earth. And one of the songs that they might have been singing at least would have been full of this content. And Psalm 90 is written by Moses, the man of God, as they were coming out of Egypt, singing this. He said this in verse 1, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, in the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath, we bring our years <clears throat> to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are seventy or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? 
So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. And so we see that Moses, Moses was no spring chicken whenever he started to minister, bringing the Israelites out of Egypt. He got a stirring from God around the time of 40, and he actually went into the camp and saw his fellow Hebrews being mistreated by the Egyptians. He rose up, tried to fulfill the purposes of God in the wrong way, and then eventually got driven out into being a shepherd for 40 years in the wilderness on the backside of the desert, learning the heart of God as a shepherd. But at 80 years old, at 80 years years old, he comes back, begins to proclaim the word of God to Pharaoh, and then the Israelites are released from their captivity after the 10 plagues that affected Egypt, and God's showing his strength and showing his power. But in the midst of him being 80 years, and then subsequently having another 40 years wandering in the desert because the Israelites did not believe God in the things that he was calling them to do, what we see is that he says, hey, listen, I'm telling you that at the end of the day, God is good. From generation to generation, he's shown himself to be faithful the one who sees, as Cole talked about earlier today, the one who hears, the one who knows he is God. And at the end of the day, what you need to know is that in the midst of his seeing that there is, though he's eternal, there is going to be an end to all of our days. There is going to be an end to all of our days. And one of the things that I was able to get out um, in the midst of all of my bumbling and bumbling in the um, midst of the funeral service was Ecclesiastes, where he said, listen, that it's better to be in the house of mourning than the house of mirth or laughter. The things that people live for today are joy, and the, uh, not that joy is not of God, it is of God, but I'm talking about more so the pleasures that they run to and all of the experiences that they can have and all of the things that will tickle their mindsets or tickle their fancies for a period of time, giving them momentary pleasure, but having them forget about the eternal. And he says that, but every man, every woman needs to understand that death is the destiny of every man and the living should take it to heart. The living should take it to heart that eventually we're all mortal and it's, go, it's all going to expire. This is what Moses is talking about and the great victory that he saw the Israelites receive and accomplish and bringing them out of Egypt into the land of promise in Canaan, modern day Israel. He's saying at the same time that God is doing something great in this moment, I'm also telling you that there's an end to it all. And he says that the, that the life that God's given mankind is 70 years, 80 if you have the strength. I'm like, God Almighty, my, my grandmother, though I'm sad she's gone, she lived a long time. She was 88 years old. 88 years old. Isn't that great? A woman of God, 88 years old. And I think the, one of the last things that she said to my mother, and this is where my mother actually broke after she was taking care of her for years, is she actually, it's almost like a Hallmark movie or something. She put her hand on her um, face, and at the um, not being able to speak a whole lot much more, she actually said to her, I want you to remember to take care of the family. 
I want you to take care of the family as if she was passing after 88 years a mantle onto my mom as the new matriarch to take care of the family and charging her to go on in the things of God. Though myself, um, <clears throat> though I didn't know God growing up from my mom's um, instruction, I surely did from my grandmother's. And she was charging my mom on her way out, take care of the family. And the point is, is that she had 70 years, 80, um, because she had the strength from God, 88 and then she went the way of all the earth. And this is what Moses is saying, that eventually we're all going to go the way of all the earth. We have 70 years, 80 if we have strength, and then it ultimately comes to an end, and we're going to face our maker in that day. And the great challenge of youth is remembering, and this is, I say this very tenderly because of the demographic of our congregation. The demographic of our congregation is one that's mostly young, right? And I'm talking about young. It's, it's sort of like, you know, people say this, the 70s, the new 40. It's like, listen, it's like because of medical technology, everybody's young in here, right? And it's sort of like the challenge of youth, though, is understanding that youth comes to an end. Youth ultimately comes to an end. And in that day, he's saying, I'm telling you, you've got to understand, you need to learn in your youth to number your days aright, number your days rightly, that you might actually gain a heart of wisdom. That you don't waste the time or the opportunities. That you don't waste the opportunities, not just in business or industry or career, but in family and and, 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 in the things of God and the purposes of God and the eternal kingdom. That you don't waste your opportunities there in your youth because eventually it will come to an end. It will come to an end. And he's saying, number your days now. Number your days aright so that you might gain a heart of wisdom. Have an eternal focus, not later when you feel like you're settled, but now when you have the strength of God in you, because ultimately it comes to an end. I don't know if many of you actually grew up playing basketball, but it's sort of like I grew up playing basketball, and the thing about basketball is, is that you can do certain things when you're young that you can't necessarily do when you're older. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, it's sort of like you remember the back in the day you didn't have to stretch, you were like, you used to look at the people on the side of the court and they were like, you know, you're like, <laughs> you know, it's like, and then you would like go up and dunk or whatever ability you had. But then all of a sudden a little age got on you. And then the thing that used to be footloose and fancy free about you changed. And then you started to like play people who were half your age and half your size. And then you started getting dunked on. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, maybe two. Okay, well. Maybe that's just my story. But the point is, <laughs> but the point is, is right like back in the day I used to jump. Now I just hold people's legs when they fly over me. I'm just, I'm just and I'm like, listen, don't fall. You know, and I feel this parental like, you know, ambition rising up me. I'm just saying that things change. And one of the things that happens in the midst of the gospel ministry is helping us understand that God's got victory for us in the now in the later, but we've got to live in between the now and the later with a sense of wisdom, with a sense of understanding that mortality comes to us all. Now, I would have loved to have said that, you know, I had this eloquent speech to contextualize my grandmother's life and, you know, I put it all in perspective for people and really charge them to repent and believe the good news. And there was this great revival that broke out, you know what I mean, in the midst of my grandma's funeral. I do not have that testimony. I don't know what I said, and 
at the end of the day, my, my mom just came up to me and was sort of like, we love you, sweetie. And I was like, okay, that's great. Okay, but I'm going to tell you what did minister to everybody. Where's Lindsay? Thank God for Lindsay Hedger, because Lindsay has actually been teaching my sweet girl guitar. And on the guitar, she actually was able to participate in this funeral service. And so in the midst of the funeral service, you had my grandmother, 88 years old, going all the way of the earth. And then you had my 13-year-old daughter who got up on her guitar and she played the song by Matt Redman called 10,000 Reasons. Anybody know that song? Okay, this is the one that, min this is the thing that ministered to people more than anything else throughout the um, uh, ceremony. If you don't know the song, it starts off like this. It says, the sun comes up. It's a new day dawning. It's time to sing your song again. Whatever may pass and whatever lies before me, let me be singing when the evening comes. And so you can imagine, first of all, picturing this, that my grandmother, um, who was her great-grandmother, 88 years old, already in the coffin, going her way all the way of the earth. But then you have this young 13-year-old full of faith now, full of faith that was passed down, passed down through her efforts passed down. And I'm telling you, it was effort after effort, prayer after prayer, because I was a knucklehead and did not listen at first. I did not listen at first. And so if you are a family member or a friend of somebody who has not responded to Jesus yet, but you're still praying and you're still believing, I'm here to tell you that it is worth it. It is worth it because even though they may not turn in the moment, God's word does not return back to him void. According to Isaiah, it's going to accomplish the purpose for which it was sent if you continue to pray and you continue to believe. Those who have wayward family members, those who have wayward friends, those who have wayward co-workers that you love and you burn for, the thing about it is, is that don't give up on them because ultimately at the end of the day in that funeral, it was my daughter, her great-granddaughter who was singing about the praise of the Lord. It's like a new day dawning in the faith of the family, in the, um, the faith of this child that was started through what she had accomplished so many years ago or what she had started sowing so many years ago. And I don't know that there was a dry eye in the crowd after she got to the part of this verse, the chorus that went like this. It says, and on that day when my strength is failing. Anybody know this song? And on that day, when my strength is failing, the end draws near and my time has come. Still my soul will sing your praise unending 10,000 years and then forevermore. And everybody broke, whether they were coming in humanistic, whether they were coming in atheistic, whether they were coming in without the knowledge of God or not. Everybody broke because something resonates with people when you speak the truth to them. He said he set eternity in the hearts of men, though they do not know what he's done from beginning to end. And whenever you're preaching the truth of God to them, there's something that awakens in them that begins to have them long for the eternity that they were built for. And so this was a powerful picture of even gospel and gospel ministry that my grandmother, having eternity in her focus, having eternity in her sights, though imperfect, clung to the hope of the cross, clung to the hope of the gospel, and was looking forward to her redemption, not only of her spirit, but even of her physical body that was deteriorating in the moment. She said, it's going to be made new because of Jesus' resurrection life. And the good news was that it could be clearly testified to. 
not just in her grandson, but her great-granddaughter, who is now worshiping God and giving praise to him for all that he'd gone for, um, before her <coughs> to do and accomplish. But each of us need to understand that in our youth is when we need to begin to number our days. In our youth, it all matters, Right? It all matters. I think that, uh, like back about, I, I love doing youth ministry for many, many years. Anybody do youth ministry before? Anybody love teenagers? Come on now. Everybody should say, yeah, because you were there once too. Okay? So, like, everybody, you got to love teenagers. But part of the things we used to always charge teenagers with is that your decisions now matter for later. They act and they live as if it doesn't, but it all matters, Right? how they study, the grades that they get, what school they get into. It all determines what type of future that they're going to have, though they don't realize it in the moment. And now, in terms of being adults and being those who are running and making it, and, you know, like, I refer to the CNBC, like, you know, little clips that you can watch. But the point is, is that, like, going, um, being upwardly mobile and having all of the opportunity and experiences in life, a lot of times we're like those teenagers, who don't realize that the decisions that we make now are going to determine what comes of us in God in future times. What we do now matters. What you do today matters. The faith that you have today matters. And how you serve God with what he's given you matters. Because ultimately he says that you have a limited amount of time and you want to use it for him. The best way, obviously, that we can do it is not only living um, in the good news, but sharing that good news too. Paul, after he left Philippi, he went to multiple other cities. He went to a city called Thessalonica, which is the, to whom the letter of the Thessalonians were written to, First and Second Thessalonians. He went to another city called Berea, lesser known. He went to Athens, right, the great center of intellectual thought at the time in Greek culture, the Hellenized world, right? And we see he was preaching the good news and the gospel in all of these places, but then he was driven out by persecution place to place, and he came to another city called Corinth, to which the letters of First and Second Corinthians were written. But Paul had the perspective of eternity in his mind, this hymn these hymns, not just that, but I'm sure other hymns, 150 Psalms, right, rising up in his heart, giving him perspective and praise to God for all that he's done and helping him understand that in the midst of his persecution, what he was doing for God actually mattered. I'm going to tell you how it matters if we were to make mention of Paul's efforts today. It matters because we're here today. How many people know that we're, we're part of a result of Paul's efforts all of the persecution that he endured and experienced. It was not in vain, but we get to gather together from multiple nations, tribes, and languages because of Paul's efforts back in the day and his perseverance in writing three-fourths of the New Testament letters. But the question is, is that if we have eternity in our hearts and in our minds, <clears throat> what do we do when we live with this reality in mind? Well, we don't just grow in an eternal focus but we grow in sharing the good news. And I'll, I'll say it in three ways. Number one, mystery. Number two, margin. And then number three, ministry. Mystery, margin, and ministry. The first thing is that we need to walk in the fear and the reverence of the Lord. If we know that ultimately eternity's coming, where God says that to him, 
days like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day, but eternity surely is coming. Think about like ministering to a group of people who ultimately their worldview didn't even, couldn't see beyond thinking that there was anything beyond their physical body expiring. And people walk in a confidence in that saying, I'm going to live it up now because really ultimately there's nothing after death. When you die, you die. But the truth is, is that the only way that people are able to turn in that type of mentality is through the revelation and the exposure to the truth. So much so that Paul in Romans, when he was writing, he says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. It's like, how are they going to call on the person that they've not heard of? How are they going to believe in him if they've not heard of him? And how are they going to hear unless somebody preaches to them, right? Meaning that the reason you believe certain things or we have the worldviews that we do today is because ultimately we're saturated in those worldviews. We're saturated in that type of thinking that is perpetuated through every conversation, every media post, every type of interaction that we have on a daily basis. And what Paul's saying is, first of all, that we need to walk in the mystery of what these Psalms are declaring about God, that ultimately he's holding all things in his hand and ultimately it will come to an end. And he says in 2 Corinthians, Corinthians 5, when he's writing to this church in Corinth, he says, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, he's contextualizing the mystery for people. He says, if we know that the tent, which is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent, meaning our physical bodies, we groan, longing to be um, to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, meaning our physical bodies, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body. What he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So what he's saying again is that ultimately we are saved not by what we do. Everybody understand that? We are saved by grace through faith. And that's the good news of the gospel of the kingdom that we're saved because of what Jesus did for us, not what we do for him. And if anybody hasn't put their trust in what Jesus has done for them, today's your day to do it. Repent and believe the good news is what Jesus preached. But then ultimately, we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and not to um, determine whether we're saved or not, but also to receive a reward for what was done in the body, whether good or evil. So we're saved not by what we do, but what he's done for us, but we're rewarded absolutely by what we do for him and not necessarily what he's done for us. Do you see the distinction between the two? 
Salvation is all based on what Jesus has done for us. Reward is ultimately based on what we do for him. And he's saying everyone's going to, in the fear of the Lord, appear before the judgment seat of Christ and have to give an account for what they've done in the body, whether good or evil. That's why Moses is imploring us, teach us, God Almighty, to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom because it matters what you do now. It matters the things that you're giving yourself to and how you're living your lives. I'm looking forward to cheering, and I know this might um, um, sound trite to you, but I look forward to cheering on that day many of our community group leaders. I may be in the way back, but like everybody, like, they're like, you know, getting their reward from God. I'm going to be like, yes. And I, and, I, and I hope you would be too. He's <laughs> saying, yes, God, they were faithful. They were making disciples. They were the people leading people to righteousness. I'm going to be applauding people who were setting up and tearing down. I'm going to be applauding people who are working on the tech team and Lord knows in the children's ministry. Amen to that. Come on, children's ministry workers. You, got, you probably had the front of the line. But the thing is, is that it's like all of a sudden he says all of these different things that are practical service in sharing the good news. He says, I'm going to give to people what they've done while in the body whether good or evil and people make it so mysterious all the time but it's very practical it's very practical anybody remember the whole um, um, sort of parable or the story of the good samaritan how many people remember that story right and all the people who passed by in the midst of the practical need that the, um, the person whipped and beaten up on the side of the road had. And it was only the Samaritan who saw the need and then took the lead. He wasn't waiting for a revelation from heaven to determine the good he needed to do. He saw the heart of God, saw what needed to be done, and addressed it with the opportunity that he was given. And these are the things that it means to walk in the fear of the Lord. But number two, not only walking in the mystery of it, but actually walking in some sense of margin, margin in life. The Lord knows that in the hectic nature and the busyness of life, how many people could use a little margin? Do you know what I'm talking about? Margin meaning space in between running between the, net, the one thing that you're doing to the next, working from job to job, or actually going from school assignment to school assignment. Or how about this? One screen to another. One screen to another. Ad infinitum. It's like it doesn't end. You can keep flipping and switching and, yes, eventually start twitching. You know, the point is, is that you can be endless in your activity, but you need margin in your life. Margin where you're allowed to say, be still. Be still to reset. Be still to reset your focus and your heart ambitions. And he says, know that I'm God. Why? Because I'll be exalted in the earth. And when you're still, you remember not only his glory, but what you're here for to glorify him. And you, in that stillness, in that margin, giving yourself some space, reset, and then get back to that eternal focus. It's what Paul continued to talk about. He says, we know, going back to um, 2 Corinthians 5, he says, yes, we are of good courage. You can imagine, he had some time on his hands in the prison. He was usually 
hustling and bustling, making it and preaching and trying to perform miracles and do all of these different things to testify to Jesus. But in that place of imprisonment, in his place of margin, in his place of suffering, he got refocused. And I know many of you have a testimony of getting refocused in God in the midst of suffering. And he says, so we are always of good courage. We know that not only while we are at home in the body, we're away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. But then going down, he says, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, he said, if I'm a fanatic for God, it's for him. If we are in our right mind and we seem erudite and very spiritual and a sage, he said, it's for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live and here it is, might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Died and was raised. And I think if we were to asterisk anything in our Bibles to make it very practical, we should asterisk this section, that we should no longer live for ourselves. Everything in our culture promotes that, living for ourselves. But he's saying in Christ, because there's an eternal focus that ultimately is going to be contextualized in you standing before him, he says, no longer should you live for yourself. Don't just live for the weekend. Don't just live for your next excursion. Don't just live for even your next promotion. Live for him who died and was raised again. And one day, he says, you're going to face to receive reward if you've lived for him faithfully. He says, we don't look at anyone in the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. And here's the good news. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So when we live with an eternal perspective, we live in reverent fear in the mystery of God. We long for margin, asking him to teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom, giving ourselves to the most important things in life, God, family, service. But as we do these things, then ultimately he says that he's entrusted to us that third thing, which is a ministry. He says, I've given you the mystery of me. I've given you some margin so that you might order your days aright, and then I'm giving you a ministry that we might no longer live for ourselves, but for him who for our sake died and was raised again. He says, the old has passed away. 
behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Meaning those who were once enemies were brought back into friendship with him. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. I don't know if that seems weighty to anybody else, but feels weighty to me. God, and all that he wants to do, is making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so ultimately he's saying with an eternal hope and an eternal perspective, an eternal focus, what he does is he entrusts to you ministry. And it wasn't just Paul and Silas because if you go back to the word that was just spoken in Philippians where he was exhorting the Philippians, he said, whatever you've seen in me, whatever you've heard from me, whatever you've received from me, I want you to put those things into practice, right? Philippians 4.9 And the God of peace will be with you. As a Christian community, we need to get to a place where we're not excusing ourselves from the things that the great men and women of Scripture did because we're not them. He's saying they're an example for us to follow. And now he's saying, I'm entrusting this message of reconciliation to you and it's not just for the old like my grandmother <laughs> it's for the young I think about the first man that was baptized here as this part of this church plant it was a man named Tyrone McGraw and I'm really sorry that many of you didn't get to know him he was an amazing young man he grew up atheist, gave his life to Jesus, got baptized right there in that cold Michigan lake, and came out and started reaching out to his friends and um, co-workers that were part of the same program that he was in here in the city. And then, as God had it, he moved out to California. And in California, as a 27-year-old, found out that he had cancer that was wrapped around his spine and for the next two years it was in essence killing him young man full of faith taking him out but he was fighting the fight of faith and so much so that before he passed I got to write a recommendation for him because he was going to go to Fuller Theological Seminary out in California Pasadena California he was fighting the fight of faith but then at 29 years old, his time was up. And the Lord took him to be with himself. And because he worked for the state assembly 
and was so honored in that place, they had a day of silence for him because of the testimony that he had wrought in that place. Young man, 29 years old. And people came from far and wide to celebrate him and celebrate his life, but he got to testify to the very end about Jesus and this eternal life. It wasn't just my grandmother, 88 years old, going out. It was a young man, 29, with his entire life ahead of him. Another young man was uh, the, my son's pastor. I'm sorry, my son's pastor, that's me. Sorry. <laughs> my pastor's son. My pastor's son. He actually got to do missions. As he went to ORU University out in Oklahoma as a part of their program, got to do missions every summer and was actually in Africa and actually got to participate in leading one of the first um, groups of people in that particular tribe to the Lord. Talk about reaching unreached people groups. But at the same time, at 23 years old, cancer started to run through his body. And after a period of time, in his youth, his days were done. His days were done, but he appeared before God, not only full of faith, but in triumph, having not wasted his days. Having not wasted his days at 23. He would have been 27 this year. And so ultimately, what we want to do is be a people who are full of faith, full of joy, full of the life of God, but also very sober-minded. Sober-minded. Because all of these trials, all of these things that we go through have a context to them. And he said, ultimately, there's victory in Jesus and there's victory in resurrection life. But in between the A and the Z, he said, make your life count with eternal focus. And don't just let it count with eternal focus as if you're looking for the sweet by and by, but do it by growing and being a sharer of the good news. Why? Because he's entrusted to us a message of reconciliation that though my grandma be gone, I'm here and we're here together because of what she sowed into the earth. Amen? Your life counts. Let's live that way today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's have the worship team.